The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. But we're doing this. Uh, we're doing this series on vision, and I don't know about you guys. I'm really excited about this series. Uh, we're looking at vision, 2020 vision, uh, in 2020, not just in the in the context of being able to see well, 2020 vision. But we're not just in a new year, we're in a new decade. So 2020 vision is really a time for all of us to really hit the reset button, really kind of search our heart, God, what do you want to do in my life? And how do I aim my life to line up with your will and your plans for my life? And uh, the series has been really good. If this topic uh, interests you, if you're just jumping in today, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first two messages on this on our YouTube channel, but we talked, the first, the first one we talked about is AIM, and that has to do with, AIM depends heavily uh, by the lens that you look through, and if you're looking through the wrong lens, you'll get the wrong kind of AIM, and we looked at a story of a guy in the Bible who thought he had great vision, he thought he had great AIM, he thought he was very successful, and then later in his life, he found out, oh, I was looking through the wrong lens, I did not have good AIM, and no, this is not success, so we talked about how God gives us the lens of his word and his spirit so that we can aim at absolute success and not miss the mark. That's a really great one. And then we looked at a a different kind of vision. Rather than seeing it way out there through a lens where I think this is where God's calling me or what he wants to do, we looked at how sometimes God places the, the vision on the inside in the form of a dream where he just puts some kind of dream on your heart. Ever since you're young or some point in time, God maybe disclosed something to you where you really feel... God, for some reason, I think you really want me to do this thing, whatever that thing might be. And we talked a lot about that, how God puts a dream on the inside and he wants to come out on the outside and to search your heart and pray and ask God because you were wonderfully and fearfully made and he had works ordained for you before your first breath came to being. The Bible talks about this a few times, about the things that God had planned for you before you even came into the world, which is pretty magnificent. And so that's another way to go to say, not just through the lens, but God, what's on the inside? What did you make me for? And today we're looking at uh, another aspect of this, and this has to do with um, every dream has a plan. All vision must have some sort of plan. And today we're going to look at probably one of the best examples in the Bible of how this rolls out, how God gives somebody the, the dream, the vision. And, and how they start to sequence a plan. And I think this is a perfect example of how God wants to do it in your life as well. How God wants to put a sequence, a plan, uh, some divine order. How many of you know God is a God of order? You guys know that? God's a God of order. And so he's got some of these steps in scripture that you look at and go, oh God, I think I see what you're doing here. And um, uh, there's a little divine sequence, if you will. And so we're going to jump in and look at this. If you guys have your Bible or if you read on your phone, uh, we'll also put it up here. Uh, we're looking at Nehemiah. And we're going to read uh, parts of chapter 1 and 2. We're not going to cover both chapters in, in all detail, but we're going to look at the, uh, the, the, the summary, really, of what's going on and how God gives him a vision, where the vision even came from, uh, and then how he rolls out this plan, and it ends up being very successful because God brings it to fruition. It's pretty profound. So uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verse 1 talking about building your vision today, and it starts like this. <clears throat> the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of, the, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. So let me just set this up for you. Um, Nehemiah is in Persia. As many of you guys know, Israel was dragged off into Babylonian captivity for disobedience. God, uh, how many of you know, unless, a God, unless the Lord protects the city, those who guard it, guard it in vain. Have you heard that before? Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it, build it in vain. Unless the, gu- the Lord guards the city, those who guard it, 
guarded in vain. Uh, Israel was turned so far from God for so long with so many warnings. God said, look, there's going to be this consequence. And they get taken off into captivity into Babylon. And then soon, the Persian Empire is the ruling empire, not, not any longer Babylon. So now, Israelites are in Babylon. Nehemiah is in Persia. Uh, and he is serving under King Artaxerxes. Um, the thing is this, he's serving in a pretty good place. Uh, if you were in Persia and you were in this, at this time and in this realm, you would, a- you would actually want Nehemiah's job. You would say, this is actually, if I have to be in captivity somewhere or away from my homeland, I want to be where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is in the palace. He's got like the best job you can have in the land. Most people would be very happy with that. Most people would be living well. Some people might say, I'm living my dream right now. I'm living in the palace. I get to taste all the king's food. I got a really good paying job while other people are doing this. I get to do this over here. And so a lot of people would think that, but, but Nehemiah, he operates a little different. He's got, a, he's got an ear towards heaven. He's got a heart that's sensitive to God's kingdom and God's ways. And so what he does is he, he asks his brothers and these other men in this story, hey, what, what's going on back home? Like where we're from, Jerusalem, where our temple was? and What's going on with the people back there? He asks them this question and they go, um, it's still an absolute wreck. It's still destroyed. Uh, the remnant of people that are left behind back there, there's a remnant of people. And by the way, they only left the poorest people. They took all the middle and the upper class. Everybody of value to them, they took, and they let other people just work the land. So there's this remnant back there. And there, as the passage says, they were living in distress. So what's left of your people are back with a city with no walls, living in distress. And it says, uh, not only the distress, the walls were broken down. They were vulnerable. They were vulnerable. They were were being robbed with no walls in their city. It's hard to sleep at night really well when the walls are down and they're vulnerable and they're in distress. And and this is something, and, and, and they have no hope at this point. And Nehemiah is in this palace sipping the king's delicacies and go, here's a good one. Oh, here's a good one. Living in a palace. And yet when he finds out this story, he just isn't the same anymore. It, it kind of rattles his cage. It takes his heart and turns it on end. He's got this sensitivity to the things of God. And as he's living in this palace with probably amazing clothes, eating the finest delicacies, he's like, this is just wrong. And I, I, I just can't act like I didn't hear what I just heard. And that's what's going on to him. So listen, guys, this story completely breaks Nehemiah's heart, completely breaks his heart. And this is important. Because oftentimes, guys, if God is going to do something in your life, oftentimes it starts with God putting a burden on your heart. It starts with God shaking you for something. It starts with God shaking you about something. It starts with God shaking you because somebody's like them. Somebody has their walls broken down or somebody's gates are burned or they're living in despair or they're living in distress or they're living without hope. Whatever people group that might be, whatever... Uh, circumstance that might be, that, that, that when, our, when our ear is towards heaven and when our heart is aligned with his kingdom, sometimes we hear these things and they, they weigh us down. You actually feel the weight of it, the weight of it. You know, we don't talk about the weight of the things of God, but the weight of the things of God is very important. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, when the Bible talks about the glory of God, and it comes up again and again in scripture, the glory of God, uh, the shepherds in the field and the glory of God was all around them. The glory, this term glory that, that comes up in the Bible, uh, it's not just bright light. Uh, when you look at the root word of glory, it suggests weight. Everyone say weight. You feel it. You feel the weight of God's presence. God's showing up with Moses in the book. He feels it. He hits his knees. Like, you just feel, it's not just the bright light. You feel uh, the weight of it. And the same thing, I believe, has to do with God calling us into our dream uh, there's things that you feel. It's a, it's a weight he puts on you. Remember Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and have a heavy load. I'll give you rest. He goes, learn from me. He goes, take my yoke upon you. In other words, I'm going to put a weight on you, but it's a weight you can absolutely carry. I'm going to take your major burden away, but I am going to put a little weight on you. You're going to feel this weight. And if we're sensitive to the kingdom of God and the ways of God, and if we're open to what God wants to do, we will start to feel 
uh, these things, God will begin to listen. He'll begin to break our heart for the things that break his. That's what happens here. And Nehemiah's life is about to change. Why? Because he's willing to let his heart be broken for the things that break God's heart. So much depends on this. There's some people saying, I'm not going to break my heart for anything. I'm not going to take on the weight. I'm doing my own thing, my way, my life, my plan. And we talked about a guy like that in our first week of the series. What he thought was success was not success. But Nehemiah, on the other hand, God, if this breaks your heart, it's breaking mine too. And his whole life begins to change over this. He becomes somebody who you never would have heard of before to he turns into a history maker where God uses him for monumental, profound things. And it started with God breaking his heart. Uh, we talked about vision comes from um, something so much bigger than yourself. Uh, vision, if your vision is just for yourself, uh, it's, that's not a very, very big vision. Uh, a vision has to come from a place of so much bigger than you. Uh, so much, but God, what is it? What do, you, what do you have me here on planet Earth in 2020 in this city, what did you make me for? And you begin to step into these kind of things. There's a bigger picture going on. And we, we also said that some of this uh, vision and these dreams often come from a place of, of inspiration or desperation. Inspiration where you look out and go, wow, look what it could be. It could be this, but it's not. And you're so inspired about what it could be, you feel God giving you that vision, that perspective, showing you what it could be, that you start stepping towards it and go, God, are you waking me up to something and showing me something that you're calling me to walk in? And other times the vision or the dream comes from a desperation where you feel a burden, where you feel a weight, and you think of what things, how things shouldn't be. They could be this way, but the way I see them, they should not be like that. And maybe in your life, you see things right now. When you look around society, or you look around your neighborhood, or you look around your block, or you look around the world, maybe you see certain things that really stand out to you. They stand out distinctly to you, maybe more than others around you. But, and maybe others around you don't get it, because not everybody gets the same burden, or senses the same dream, or goal, or vision. But listen, if God puts that on you, if you have a Nehemiah moment, if you have a moment like Nehemiah where you hear the news and your heart goes, oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. It shouldn't be like that. And, and Nehemiah breaks down in tears. I mean, this isn't just a, a feeling of like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, pass the crumpets. You know what I mean? Uh, Nehemiah's like, oh, no, what's going on in Jerusalem? And it breaks his heart and he's weighed down so heavenly, so listen, heavily. So listen, when God does this to you, it gives you a vision or a dream. It's a deep passion for what things could be or things how, should, how things shouldn't uh, be. And maybe you know a remnant of people, like Nehemiah knew there was a remnant. In your life, maybe you're aware of a remnant. Maybe you have somebody in your family or a distant cousin that's a remnant. Maybe you know someone down the block, someone you knew from school. Maybe somebody you work with or someone at the gym or the store, and they're kind of a remnant kind of person. They're not like in the mix. They're not loved. They're not encouraged in the things of God. I don't know where they are, but in some way, shape, or form, they are a remnant. And maybe God gives you a burden for someone who's a remnant type a person, somebody who seems to be harassed or in distress and without hope and somebody whose walls seem to be broken down because that's where Nehemiah's vision came from. And if you do know somebody like that, what does it do to you? What does it do to you? Does it move you? Does it move you? I remember Christie's moved by these things pretty easy. We were coming up. Sometimes I drive by and I don't see things. I'm like, you know, I... I I notice things like security, I notice things like that, the protection, family, you know, I think that, but I don't see, I don't see certain things, like she was driving home from church uh, a while back, and she was going up White Oak, and, and she's like, Brian, there was a woman down there at the bus stop, and she had no shoes, and you need to go bring her my shoes, and I'm like, what? She's like, there's a lady now, I'm like, what shoes, where, I, okay, so I get, and I'm driving around, I'm a bus stop, I'm going up and down the alley, I don't find a lady without shoes, but she saw it, and bro, so the thing is, is we don't all sense the same burden when we see somebody with their walls broken down, when we see somebody who's harassed or without hope, but the point is, if you see, does, what does it do to you, uh, what, how does that make you feel, do you feel the weight, because listen, if you feel the weight, you may be receiving your calling. You realize that? If you receive the weight of a burden that's a God-given burden, you may be receiving your calling right in that. 
You realize that? Because this is where Nehemiah's life changed. His life changed over a burden. It was a God-given burden. And that burden began to be, he didn't wake up that morning, I got a vision, I got a plan, I got a dream, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to help liberate Israel. He didn't wake up that day. He just asked, what's going on in Israel? And they told him. And when he said it, his heart, he felt the weight. And he's like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you just put this weight on me. I can't shake it. And, and it just stirs me up. And, and this is so important. He was moved. He was moved. And if you're moved because of something like that, you may be finding your calling in that. Oftentimes your calling is in that. And so he, it says he sat down and he mourned and he cried. To him, this was painful. He knew this was wrong and this shouldn't be. And if God moves on your heart with any topic or any people group or any situation where you would say, this is painful, this is wrong, and this shouldn't be, you may find your calling right in that weight. So the first point this morning is this, if you're a note taker, and I encourage you to write these down because you have dreams in your life and you have vision for your life. Maybe it's starting with just a vision for my family right now, or maybe a vision for my block, or a vision for my uh, team that I coach, or a vision for, it doesn't matter what it is, start wherever God starts you, but this plan, I think, is a divine sequence we see rolled out in Nehemiah's life. It was effective for him. It will be effective for us as well. Uh, And the first one is God-given vision starts with a God-given burden. It's where it starts. It starts with a God-given burden, and if God puts that on your heart, that's just not emotion. That's probably God going, do you remember, you know the Christmas song? Do you see what I see, right? God's saying, do you feel what I feel? Do you feel it? God feels it. Do we feel it? Some people are like, no, I don't feel anything. And other people are like, oh yeah, I feel it. I feel it. That's not going away. Mm. Maybe God gave you that burden. Maybe that burden is waking you up to a greater calling. And this is where Nehemiah's life changed. And then the second point this morning is to do what Nehemiah did. And the second point is to turn your burden into a prayer. Turn your burden into a prayer. God, if this is you and you gave me this, I'm not just going to be quiet about it. I'm not just going to run off this way. I'm going to turn it around and bring it right back to you. Is this you, God? Are you doing this? Are you giving me this weight? Are you making me aware? Are you breaking my heart for the things that break yours? Is that what's going on right here, God? Because if so, I don't know what the plan of action is, God, but you got my attention. You're speaking to me. I'm resonant. My heart's resonating with this call or this download or this insight or this perspective or this revelation or this prophecy or this trip, whatever you want to call it. You're giving me a weight. You got my attention. I'm coming back to you with it. And this is where it begins. So God-given vision starts with a God-given burden. And then, number two, turn your burden into a prayer. Aim it back to God and say, what do we do with this, God? God, is this you? And if this is you, what do we do with this, God? What what do you want to do with this? Um, So Nehemiah took his burden to the Lord with prayer and fasting, it says. Uh, It wasn't just a, hey, God, I don't know what you want to do, but I'm going to go back to it. He was like, God, you got my attention. You woke me up. I'm shook right now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit with you, and I need to hear from you, and I'm going to press in. Uh, fasting, the Bible says, is a, is, is a way to um, supplement our prayers, to amplify our prayers. Uh, Jesus said certain things in life don't happen without prayer and supplication, like little extra support behind them, the big things, the major things in life, the, the major decisions you need to make in life, some of the biggest decisions. Maybe put a little fasting behind your prayer. Uh, maybe amplify and get a little extra clarity uh, exponentially, making your prayer powerful. That's what the Bible tells us uh, fasting does. But he, he turns this into uh, a prayer. And, and so then from there, I want to move on to verse 11. Verses 5 through 11 are the prayer of Nehemiah. And you would have your own prayer. You would have your own prayer based on your own burden. In your own words of God, this is what I'm sensing. I think this is what you're showing me. And uh, what do I do with this God? But I want to focus on verse 11. He says this, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So here's our third point this morning. It's right in front of us. 
is to be specific with God, be specific with God, asking for favor and success. Be specific with God, asking for favor and success. This is something very intentional. Sometimes we're like, Lord, okay, bless my day and bless these people or bless this situation. But he's like intentional. God, if you're giving me this burden, wow. I have to walk into this king. And there's going to have to be a lot of things changing. There's going to have to be doors open. There's going to... uh, This is a pretty... If this is true, what you're giving me, I have no idea how that's going to happen because there's a lot of moving parts in between and I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm going to need favor, God. I am going to need favor. I'm not even going to take another step if you don't give me favor. And there'll never be success if you don't give me favor and success, God. And so can I just start asking you, God, I believe the burden's from you. Can you please start giving me favor and success? And I think you would need to do this as well. Why? Listen, it will take God's favor and success for you to fulfill your dream. Do you know that? It will take God's favor and success. If you could pull off your dream without God, it's probably not a God-given dream. It's probably too small of a dream. You're going to need God's favor and success to pull off a God-given dream. And Nehemiah has a God-given dream. He had a God-given burden. He turned it around and took it vertical and said, God, I have a God, a, a prayer. I got to connect with you on the magnitude of this. And the very thing he says is very specifically, God, I'm going to need your favor and I'm, gonna, I'm never going to be successful without your favor. And so can I start there? Because I don't even know how to take this first step if you don't start opening doors. If you don't open my first door, I don't know what I'm going to do here, God. I'm, I'm going to be stuck with this whole burden here. And I'm willing to walk it out, God. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to walk into this destiny, into this dream, into this vision. But God, I'm going to need success. And it's going to start with your favor. That's something I can't create on my own. I can't psych myself up. Favor is only something you can do, God. And I need to start there. And this is what he says. He says, Lord, give me favor and give me success out of the words of Nehemiah. Lord, give me favor and give me success. Listen, sometimes in his case, he's cup bearer to the king. The king trusts Nehemiah because everything that the king is about to drink, because some kings would be poisoned and people would take over the empire, uh, you have a cup bearer who you can trust who will actually taste everything for you. So they've developed a really great trust with Nehemiah. They respect him, they honor him, and, they, and, and he's, got a, he's got a pretty critical role of trust with the king. He's like a right-hand man in, in this sense when it comes to everything the king consumes. And um, to be able to go to Jerusalem or even go look at Jerusalem, the idea of leaving his role, um, that doesn't sound something like the king is likely to do. Uh, first of all, not only is the king likely, not likely to do it, Nehemiah would need permission to do it. And in your life, maybe the calling that God's put on your heart, maybe the vision he's given you, maybe the dream he's calling you into, maybe it requires permission of some kind. Permission. And I say permission because we can have these dreams, but there can be things, there could be gates between you and what you're called to do. There could be closed doors. Uh, Paul wanted to go into um, Asia with the gospel, and he's praying, God, would you open the door? Would you give me favor? Would you open the door for me in Asia? And he kept praying and praying and praying. And God's like, actually, no, I'm not opening that door. I'm not going to give you favor in Asia, but I am going to give you favor in Macedonia. And God redirected him. He's like, okay, God, I guess you didn't want me to go that way. You wanted me to go this way. God's saying, yeah, your destiny isn't this way, Paul. It's this way. Maybe you need uh, permission in some areas. Uh, say you wanted to go into schools. I've been praying for a long time about going into schools. I've done a lot of jail ministry and prison ministry and youth ministry, but recently I've really been wanting to go into the schools uh, to minister to the kids, and uh, it was kind of a, there's no way to get into the schools. If you're not an employee of the district or something, you can't get into the schools and really share the gospel with these kids, and i um, been praying about it and just trying to figure out, Lord, I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, but I was, at a, uh, I was at a conference recently, and I get a call uh, from Josh, our missionary friend that we support for FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he calls me up and said, hey, I understand you're, you want to get into schools. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, we go into schools. Would you like to come with us? And I'm like, yes, definitely. So I've been able to go into Birmingham and um, North, you know, uh, Northridge Middle School and Chatsworth High School and some of these other schools to help share the gospel with kids because God opened a door. You see, that's something someone needs permission for. You see how that works? You can't just go walking in. But God can grant favor or give permission, and God can open a door. And maybe the vision God's calling you in, 
Maybe it requires permission. And that's why you need God's favor. Because God will move on the hearts of people who are the gatekeepers who can grant you permission or not. You can't move on their heart. God can move on their heart. God opens doors no man can shut. Amen? And he can shut doors. So, so when it comes to permission and it comes to favor, you're going to need favor to fulfill uh, your, your vision. And uh, now sometimes, some, some of your dreams and vision does not require permission. There is nobody blocking you. You're living in a free country where there, your particular vision isn't going to take a yes or no from somebody in a place of authority. It's simply, there's no blocks that way. And for some of you, uh, maybe, listen, maybe the Bible already gives you permission. Have you thought about that? Maybe the Bible already gives you permission. Maybe God already gave you permission. When you read the word, you're like, oh God, this is what you want me to do. It's, you've already given me permission. And maybe there's nothing in society blocking you specifically. There's no hindrance. Maybe you already have the permission you've been waiting for. Have you thought about that? Maybe you're waiting on a dream or a vision because you're waiting for some door or some green light. Maybe you already have the green light you need. Maybe you don't need this kind of favor. You need a different kind of favor, but not an open door. Maybe God set an open door before you, and it's right there for you to walk through. But, but for Nehemiah, he's like, God, I've got to talk to the king, and I'm going to need your favor because I don't have an open door. I can't leave this palace, and there's no way I'm going to Israel. It's going to start with you. Can you move on the king's heart? Can you give me favor? Otherwise, I won't be successful. But some of you, again, I want to remind you, I believe it's a word for some of you today. Some of you, listen, you already have permission. You already have permission, and you already have God's endorsement, permission and endorsement from the Lord to do what he's calling you to do. You already have it. You don't need to wait for that. And so you pray about that and see if that's you. But ultimately, God opens the door, and that's what he does for Nehemiah right here. So do what he did. If you get a God-given burden, bring it to the Lord in prayer. And when you bring it to the Lord in prayer, be specific. Ask, for, ask him for favor and success and victory in the, in the very burden that he put on your heart. And then I want to move on to chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through uh, 9 here. And we're going to see actually how this prayer rolls out and how, what God did and how, what this starts looking like. Um, he says this in, in chapter 2. He says, In the ninth month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This, cannot, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber and make, to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. Listen. After receiving a God-given burden, he turned it around to this plea, this prayer, to connect with God. He says, God, would you give me favor, grant me success, would you open doors? He asks for it, and then he steps into the king, and the king says, what do you want? And Nehemiah's like, oh my goodness, I think the Lord might be opening a door. So he quickly prays, Lord, let me say the right thing. I want to say what you want me to say, not what I want to say. And he boldly presents his quest, request humbly. And listen, to fulfill your dream, to fulfill your vision, uh, you will need to ask for things too. Um, asking for things. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Um, 
some people, when it comes to prayer, they're like, oh, I don't want to ask for anything. Well, I don't know where that comes from. The Bible says you can ask. You can ask God, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus teaches us how to pray, that we can ask. We have not because we ask. It's okay to ask God for things, okay? So if you're not asking specifically when it comes from a God-given burden and a God-given dream and a vision, you need to ask, and you should be asking for success, and you should be asking for the things you need. Um, so here's the fourth point this morning, and this applies to everyone. If you're going to try to fulfill any dream or vision God has in your life, you're going to have to come to terms with, with, with this one. Jesus said it, to ask and to seek, to ask, seek, and knock for doors to be opened. Ask, seek, and knock for doors to be opened. And I would add to that, and for the things that you need. Uh, he's like, I got to ask the king. I don't know if he's going to open the door, but I'm going to ask and I'm going to knock it and let's see what you do, God. I hope you give me favor. And the king goes, hmm, what is it that you want? Oh my goodness, I have an open door. Did the king just say that? Did the king really ask me what I want? I mean, this is insane. Is this what's going on? So what do you do with that? He steps right in and he asks. He actually gets specific and he asks for the things that he needs. So Nehemiah asked for permission. He asked for letters of approval And he asks for supplies to build with, supplies to build with. And listen, he gets all of that, he gets all of that, including an army. He gets all the things he's asking for, and the king's like, yeah, and I'm even going to send an army with you. Listen, sometimes if you have a God-given burden, and you take it to the Lord in prayer, and God opens the door and grants you favor, don't be surprised if God resources you, listen, and don't be surprised if he even brings the Calvary, amen? God brought the Calvary. Do you see this? God brought the Calvary. That's crazy. That tells you where Nehemiah's heart is, and and God's like, I am in this. Watch what I do. And not only did he go to the king and not get shut down, or like, how dare you ask me that? The the door is open. The king is, yes, I see, and what else do you need? And not only that, I'm going to send the Calvary with you. He literally sends the Calvary. God may do the same with you. If you have a God-given dream, if it's a God-given vision, if it's really from the Lord, we got to ask, guys. We got to start to ask, seek, and knock. We got to ask the Lord, but sometimes you got to ask others as well. God puts people in your life you have to ask. And if you're not good at asking, which I'm not very good at asking, God's teaching me this as well. I'm growing with you as we go through these passages to ask for the things you need, resources for the kingdom of God or for the vision or the mission or the aim, to ask for the things that you need, the resources that are required to do uh, the work of God. God could have beamed it down. God could have went zap, poof, there it is, but he didn't. He said, ask the king, and he did. And we're going to see more of God's provision through people along the way. Uh, How many of you know where God guides, God provides? Where God guides, God provides, and that's what you see in the story. God guided him this way, and now God is providing. It's magnificent. So effective vision requires a divine strategy. And Nehemiah is like, I hear it, God. You're giving me a burden. You're giving me a plan. I'm beginning to see. Nehemiah is seeing something that he didn't see last week. He talked to friends, he got this burden, he went to the Lord in prayer, he's like, I think I see it now, God. My aim, my life purpose is to get Jerusalem restored because there's a whole lot of people that are harassed and helpless and in distress out there and I can no longer live up in this castle sipping the king's wine when people are like that. I got my life calling, Lord, you made it really clear and now if you want me to be successful, it's gonna take favor because there's no way I can pull this off unless you give me favor and he prays, goes to the king, poof, door opens. Ask, Nehemiah, ask. Okay, king, don't want to sound too bold here, but really what I need is A, B, and C. And the king goes, okay, I'm going to give you A, B, C, and D. I'm going to send the cavalry with you too. I think it's amazing. Um, So this is what he does in verse 11 through 16. uh, Excuse me. uh, In 11 through 16, um, Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He goes out at night with just a few guys. He's not trying to announce his presence. He's not going to show up and start pushing. It's like there's, there, there's different parties. There's a little hostility. And not everyone's into what he's doing. He's got some opposition. Uh, he doesn't want to come in with waving a big flag. He just kind of want to come in very humbly, very discreetly, or very discerning. How many of you know when the, uh, in, the, in the book of um, Joshua, when they went into the land, they sent spies into the land, right? Not announcing, hey, everybody, we're a spy. Just, just to like pray and walk and look around and go, Okay, I think I, I think I see what's going on here. In fact, in, in uh, Exodus, they sent in spies too to just scout the land. Everyone say, scout the land. It's a spiritual principle in that. 
to go pray and seek and ask and knock and look around and discern. What are you dealing with? You know, one summer we did church on the beach in Venice to, to outreach to people down there, and we, we ended up setting up in between the tarot card readers and the chainsaw juggler, literally. That was our spot in the middle. And we did music and testimony down there, just reaching people, and it was a really powerful summer. But before we went down, we knew we're going into very hostile territory, and we went down there just prayerfully to scout the land, just to walk around and pray and go, what are we actually walking into? Like, what? let's not be ignorant. How many of you know the Bible says no one builds a house without counting the cost? That means you can have big faith and you can have a dream, but you, you still observe and you still count the cost, right? So we just wanted to go down there and check it out and get a lay of the land and see, learn how to pray or ask people to pray for us while we're stepping into these environments. So Nehemiah is also stepping into some hostile territory. So he doesn't come announcing himself. He kind of goes with his friends. They're very quietly and they go around at night and they assess the damage. And in the meantime, he's counting the costs. You can have big faith, but it doesn't mean you don't count the cost. And some people have such big faith, and it's magnificent because the Lord loves big faith. Uh, in fact, Jesus calls it mega faith is the Greek word. He's told just a couple of people in the Bible, a couple, wow, you have such mega faith, literally mega faith. Uh, and then other people, he says, you got such little faith. But the mega faith is good, but you, you also got to count the cost and have mega faith. It's not like I don't care what the costs are, I have mega faith. The people in the Bible that God used to do these great things is like, I'm counting the costs, I'm not being ignorant, and now, no matter what the math says, I, I got it, but I'm going to walk in mega faith, but I'm counting the costs. Nehemiah's going around the city walls at night, and it's absolutely in destruction, quietly, on a horse with just a few of his buddies. They're not announcing it to anyone. He's like, wow, this place is a wreck, and he's writing this stuff down. But this is what it says in verse 17, after just seeing how bad it was, especially compared to how great it used to be. This was an amazing city a walled city with a temple in the middle and everyone coming for worship and it was magnificent and now it's just a, it's in absolute ruins. And, and so he says this in verse 17, <clears throat> then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me, they replied, let's start rebuilding. So the work began. Everything right here in the story completely flips from feeling the burden about a weight to taking it to the Lord in prayer, to asking the Lord for a little favor, to come and scouting out the walls at night and looking. How many of you know Nehemiah can't build a city alone? Nobody can. He can't, you can't fulfill your dream alone either. It's going to take people. It's going to take a plurality. It's going to take the family of believers. It's going to take like-minded people that share the burden that you have. It's going to take these things to fulfill the mission. There's no solo flyers in the kingdom of God. Jesus even sent everyone out in twos, and he did it for a reason. There's a plurality in his divine order, and this plan is Nehemiah shares this with some friends. They actually see what he's seeing, and this is how God builds teams, guys. Just what's going on here. This is exactly the way... The Lord builds a team uh, to carry out any kind of vision that God has for your life. It's going to take some kind of team. It's going to take some strategic partnerships. It's going to take some divine, uh, uh, holy alliances. It's going to take some of these things. It's not, again, it's not the solo flyer thing. We don't see that as the model in Scripture. And Nehemiah can't rebuild even part of a wall without people to help him out to do it. But here's the thing. This is how God builds a team. Nehemiah shares the vision. He shares the vision. He takes his crew. It's not a big crew. He's got maybe five guys with him. They're going around the walls at night. We don't know how many. It's not a big crew. He shows them. And he says, guys, do you see what I see? I mean, this is wrecked, and I'm feeling it. Do you see what I see? And do you feel what I feel? And you know what they said? They said, yes, we do. Yesterday, we didn't. But now that you took us around and you showed us Nehemiah, now we see what you see and we feel what you feel. Let's start rebuilding. It was plural. Let's. Instead of Nehemiah, what do you want to show us? And what are we doing tonight? They're disconnected from, they don't know. But, but Nehemiah's like, God, if this is really your vision, I'm not making this up. Nehemiah's like, I'm not trying to pitch and close somebody on an idea that I have. If this is your vision, God, please let other people get your vision. Because we're your people, and if it's your vision, I hope they get the vision too. I hope they catch it. 
I hope they catch the vision, Lord. The Lord's like, well, show them. So he takes them around the walls and he shows them at night, covertly, quietly. God, do you, do you guys see what I see? Do you feel what I feel? And they're like, uh, yeah, now we do. And they say, let's, let us start rebuilding. I love that. In the New American Standard, it says they arose and put their hand to the good work. They arose and put their hand to the good work. There are so many people, even believers in America, who haven't really arose and put their hand to a good work yet. You realize that? Oh, we believe, we believe, we believe the book, said the prayer, God heaven, love the Lord, that's great, and that's wonderful. But how many have arose and put their hand to the good work? The Bible says we were made for good works in Christ Jesus. Do you know we were made for that? We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace alone, through faith. But we're saved for good works, it says in the same passage that says we were saved by grace, it says we're made for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has established from the beginning of time, from the foundations of the world. So we're saved by grace through faith. We do nothing to earn it or buy it. We don't deserve it. But in response to that, we are made for good works. And these guys arose and put their hand to the, to the good work. And how many people have not, believers, have not arose and put their hand to the work? Whether God gave them a vision or where they go, yes, I agree with the vision, and they join God's bigger plurality of motion and movement to start changing the world or start changing somebody's world. But that's what happened right here. These guys said in the story, yes, we see it, and yes, we feel it, and let's start rebuilding. They felt the burden, they caught the vision, and they wanted to be part of God's solution. And so that's our four, uh, fifth point this morning. It's pray for those who feel the burden, catch the vision, and want to be God's solution. Pray for those around you, because you're not going to do it alone. And if you think you are, you probably, I mean, you're probably not. Most of these things that God puts on people's heart, he does through teens, pluralities. You write Paul's writing, and everything he does, did, the, you know, he wrote a third of the New Testament, and you go, wow, look what Paul did, look what Paul did. Every one of those stories is Paul with Timothy or Silas or with Luke? or he's with, There's partnerships all over the place. And that's the only way the kingdom is rolling out. Um, and again, Jesus modeled that. He sent them out in twos. 120 in the upper room praying together in unity. There's, there's, there's relationships in the kingdom of God. And God does his work through this plurality of people. Um, so pray for those around you or the people you know. Maybe you need to take somebody. You need to go show them the cracked walls somewhere. You need to show them the depravity or the brokenness or what it could be or what it should be. And some people might go, that's great, and they don't feel it. That's okay. You can't push this on people. You have to let God, you have to let God move on people's hearts, amen? Only God can put burdens on people. But here's the thing. If others feel the burden, if they see what you see, if they feel what you feel, they might very likely step into the work of God. They're not stepping into your work. They're stepping into the work of God. And that's really what you want, ultimately, so pray for those who feel the burden, who catch the vision, and want to be God's solution because that is a like-minded team right there. That's a like-minded team. It's one thing to sign up and say, what do you want me to do? That's one thing. That's not taking ownership. It's like, what should I do? And it's another thing when you see what others see and you feel what they feel and go, yep, we all see the same thing. We all feel the same thing. We all agree it's from the Lord. We believe it's a biblical mandate to step into this thing. We believe God's opened the door. He's given us permission. We feel it. We want to step into God's work too and we want to roll up our sleeves. And this is what engagement in the kingdom. This is the good works we're made for and this is how we, uh, this is the plan for vision. And uh, the last thing I want to share on this, in fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. Verse 19, <clears throat> I want to pick up right there. Uh, <clears throat> not everything goes rosy all the time, guys. Sometimes, you know, you hit some stumbling blocks along the way. And, and a lot of times how you and I process our stumbling blocks will determine uh, whether we'll be successful in the things God is calling us to be. How you and I uh, handle setbacks, how you and I handle uh, potholes, how we handle when we get tripped up along the way or we fall, how we handle those. Um, I, I, one, one commentator was saying, uh, you know, about boxing, you know, what makes the difference between a good boxer and a great boxer is not necessarily just stamina and, you know, methods and stuff. It's the one that's willing to get back up again because uh, some don't get back up very well uh, and some get back up and things change. And so you've got to be a get back up kind of person and how you deal with obstacles or how you process setbacks as a monumental difference in how successful you will be with the vision 
God gave you. So when they come up, and I say when, it's not if, they will come up. Uh, Jesus said you'll always have tribulation. Uh, Jesus was harassed along the way. If you read the scriptures, uh, the people of God are not exempt from harassment. The New Testament church was harassed and ridiculed along the way. They stayed true uh, to the calling and to the vision they had from the Lord. And so you and I will have to as well, but things will come up and there will be setbacks and there could be some hostilities. Again, it's, it's not... When they, it's not if they do, it's when they do and how you handle them. But let's look at verse 19. It says this. When Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, this is what Nehemiah is doing with his crew, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it that you were doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So listen, guys, here's the last point this morning. Expect opposition. Expect it. I mean, honestly, expect it. Expect opposition and spiritual warfare. But know, but know, but know, but know. Know that the God of heaven is on your side. You need to know if God gave you a burden and you're stepping into God's vision, the God of heaven is on your side. And listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And this is important because all hell may come against you. But Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. But if you're walking out God's vision, you have to expect that you're in the enemy's radar. And that's actually a good thing. If you're in the enemy's radar, you're probably in the right place. It's been said that if there, are, if there are no giants in the land, you're probably in the wrong land. If there are no giants in the land, you might be in the wrong land. There's supposed to be giants in the land. If you're doing the things God's calling you to do, you might be on the radar. There might be opposition. Don't run from it. That's actually a good thing. You've got to know no matter who's against you, the God of heaven is on your side because he gave you a vision. And so, guys, I hope my prayer this morning is that when we look at somebody like Nehemiah, he was open to say, God, give me a vision. I, I don't have a vision, but give me one. And God did. It started with breaking his heart, weighing his heart down, giving him a burden. Maybe yours already started with some dream on the inside you already had. Maybe yours started by looking out there and seeing something and it's aspiring and you go, God, I think you want the world to be that way. But maybe your vision, your dream, your goal is starting like his did and so many others have where there is some kind of almost a holy discontent. A discontent, it shouldn't be like that. That's wrong. I don't think that's you know, on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think God wants people that way. I think God has something better for them than this. God, what do you, and this burden doesn't go away. It's not just a random emotional feel. This is bigger than that. This is a spiritual burden that God puts on your heart. And if he does, then God's breaking your heart for the things that break his. And then you go, wow, what do I do with this, God? Well, take it to him in a prayer and say, God, if this is you, make it clear, make it plain. You got my attention. And God, if this is you, I'm going to ask for favor. I'm going to ask for success. I'm going to ask for open doors because I can't pull any of this stuff off. And God, if this is you, there's there's some supplies and resources and things we're going to need favor with certain people. And we're certainly going to need some people to get on board and get on the team. So God, would you put that on other people's heart? And if it is God's given vision and we start walking out the sequence, this is how all great things start. And, and, And Nehemiah walked this out. And he went from one day sipping the king's wine probably wearing a beautiful clothes up in a climate-controlled palace somewhere virtually, and he's living large to someone going, I can't live like this when that's like this. But we never would have heard of him if he stayed in his zone. But he stepped out into history. He stepped out by faith into history because he obeyed the burden of the Lord. And the story goes on that he ends up with a crew of people with God's favor. And yes, there was harassment and warfare, built the city walls and made Jerusalem a nation that was a protected nation. And it began the complete, uh, it began fulfilling the restoration of Jerusalem. And it was celebrated, it still is to this day, uh, by our Jewish friends. They really put a heavy honor on Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, to be these reformers, to put Jerusalem back on the map and get them spiritually aligned again and a reset in God's history. So let's close in prayer right now. Would you stand with me? We're going to ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. And... uh, 
I trust he's given everyone a vision this morning or a burden or a dream of some kind. But if not, we want to be open to it. Mighty God, we come before you this morning. Uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. Lord, we thank you for what Nehemiah modeled for us, oh God. Um, Lord, he was open. He wasn't closed-minded. He was open to your burden, your dream, your hope. Uh, and Lord, it looks like you, you gave him a burden. His dream, his future, everything that you called him into. He's part of history because you gave him a burden and because he felt the burden and because he was willing to walk in faith to the God-given burden. And you opened doors and gave him favor. So I just want to start, God, that everyone in this room, you would give us a God-given burden. You would give us a dream and a vision for something greater than ourselves, something that is genuinely your will, your ways, your hope for your people. You've made us for such a time as this. I pray we would be people who recognize the times that we're living in, that this isn't random, this isn't happenstance, this is purposeful. This is divine order. You have us in LA at 2020, launching a new decade with our ears wide open, our eyes wide open. God, I pray every one of us in this room would, would, would sense the burden you want to put on our heart, give us eyes to see, and that we would turn around and take it back to you in prayer and say, God, it's going to take some open doors, going to take some favor. Otherwise, we'll never be successful. And God, I pray you would grant success to every vision in this room if it's a God-given vision. I pray, God, that you would grant success on everyone's dream and vision in this room if it's a God-given one. And God, that you would do the next things. You would grant favor and open doors. And Lord, that you would, as we share our needs with others and show others a vision, that they would say, I get it. I get, I hear what you're saying. I get it. And I feel it too. They're not joining our team. They're joining God's team. Because if it's a God-given vision, it's God's work and it's for God's glory. And I pray people would step into your work. I pray the church of Jesus Christ in America would step into your work like this story. And although hell may come against us, we know the gates of hell will not prosper. Although hell may try to torment or harass or discourage or whatever hell tries to do, fire little darts along the way and be a little bit of a pest here and there or be a, a, a loud voice of opposition, whatever it might be, God, we know that no weapon formed against us would prosper. We know that your ways will prevail, your church will prevail, and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I thank you for that, God. Do a new work today, God. Stir up dreams, stir up the hope, stir up the vision in this room, and let us walk it out in divine order. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.